Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit the Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we continue through the book of 1 John. And this week we've reached chapter 3 and we're going to cover verses 1 through 9 or 1 through 10 somewhere in there. And we're going to we're going to talk about at the beginning our position in Christ and then the practice of a Christian. And so, thank you for listening this week and without further ado, here is this week's lesson. All right, let's take our Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 3. We have got worked our way to chapter 3 in my class, in Brian's class, we're staying with it. My dad in his class over in the auditorium has already slipped behind. He's still in chapter 2. He said, I, don't, I can't keep up with you guys. You guys just go. And I said, all right, that's fine. So he may skip ahead and try to catch up. I don't know what he's going to do, but he said, you guys just keep going. So... We are in 1 John chapter number 3. The first, I, I love this passage. I love these early verses. And then we're going to get into some tricky verses. And uh, they're great verses, but there's some tricky verses. But let's just dive right into it. In, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold. That's a term that he's saying, look, I'm trying to get your attention here. And he says, Behold. And then what follows that then? Why is he trying to capture our attention? He says, Behold, what manner of love... The Father, God the Father, hath bestowed upon us. Just stop and let that sink in for a second, because that's why he said, behold. He said, behold, because he wants you to think, and he wants to capture that your mind when, it, when you think about the love. Well, I think of the behold and that, that the, the phraseology behind it, the, the exclamation behind it, it's kind of like uh, this week when... Or last weekend, I think, when Cody was over there, over at our house and their, their family. And all of a sudden, we heard a scream from my son. You know, And I could tell, I, I'm a, one of those parents that I won't jump. When my kid cries, I won't jump. I just, I do it for all the jumping parents around me. I just won't jump, all right? So if I'm in a crowd. But it bites me every once in a while because every once in a while, they really are hurt. So I didn't jump. And then he's bleeding everywhere. And I'm like, all right, I kind of better go. So, so I start to make my way over there. I'm still kind of casually walking it because I don't want to be panic. I just don't like that. And so I'm casually walking it, and he's just bleeding everywhere. And uh, thankfully, it ended up just being, it looked worse than what it was. And Cody, we had a nurse on site, so she could just take care of it. But he, he just hit his face against it. my son, which if you have two boys, that's going to happen. And his tooth kind of dug into his lip, and it's all big and nasty. But I, you could hear the, the initial, and you as a parent, you know, when you hear that sound, it's like, okay, I better pay attention. I know something just happened. That's not the normal I'm fighting with my brothers and sisters cry. That is the I'm, in, I'm hurting cry. That's kind of the idea, but in the positive sense behind this word behold, he says, behold, capture this, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Now, what is that love? Well, it's a sacrificial love, is it not? It's not a love just like where I may say to my wife, I love you. And then a few minutes later, I may say, I love no-bake cookies on ice cream. I just love it. And then she looks at me and says, well, you just said you love me, and now you love no-bake cookies. Are we in the same plane right now? <laughs> but we can say that in, our, in our, our terminology when we say love. But when he says here, behold what love the Father bestowed upon us, it's, it's, a, it's a deeper love than any of us can fathom. It's a love that that God has for us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He, he, when his son was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had to turn his back on his, 
on his son. Because he was allowing his son to take upon himself the sins of the world. Aaron, Aaron's going to be out there today with his boys. Imagine if Aaron's boys are out on that field. And the opposing coach is so mad that the Clarks, with a lot of McClure in them, are dominating, all right? <laughs> with the, McClark, the Clarks are dominating. And imagine that opposing coach comes out to tie, and I mean just, bam, just punches tie. What do you think Aaron's going to do? He's going to say, Becca, go get him. All right, go get him, Becca, hurry. No. Imagine if Aaron stood there like this and turned his back on his son just like this and looked the other way. Every one of us would be saying, Aaron's got a problem. Becca would kill him on her way to go get this guy, ripped it. But it just wouldn't happen. Because our natural instinct is guard, protect. But God the Father loved us so much, his enemies, that he turned his back on his son when he was on the cross because he's a holy God. And Jesus wasn't a sinner, but he took all of our sins upon himself. Because he loves us. That's love. And, and so he says, behold. And if you've been in church, I've been in church for 40 years and nine months. I've been since I was in my mom's belly. I've always been in church. We hear about the love of God and, and it's just like, yeah, he died for us on the cross. I know, amazing grace, I'll sweet the sound, victory in Jesus. I know all of that. But stop sometimes and say, wow, what love that he bestowed upon us. And it says that we should be called the sons of God. That's the next part of that verse. Wow, that we can be called the sons of God. I can be a child of God now, not because of anything I've done. I'm just a sinner. But when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I can be called a, a son of God, a child of God. Now I can take you to John chapter 1, verse 12, and others that tell us about this, that we can be called the sons of God. And what an amazing thing that is. Now, let me ask you guys to get you involved maybe for a second if you want to be, to the extent that you want to be. But if we are children of God, what are some, we could call them benefits of being a child of God, but you can look at, it, look at it the same way that you would handle your child. But let's think about it in this way. Let's talk about it for a second. Being a child of God means what? Okay, we have a relationship with God. Let's break it down even more. As a child of God, what do you do for your child? We just talked about one, you protect your child, right? So as a child of God, do we have the almighty God protecting us? We do. So as a child of God now, not because of anything I've done, but because of his great love, I have the great protector on my side. What else do we have? He nurtures us. I think of nurturing and the thing that comes to my mind there is I think of my kids, even I had a strong, not a strong, but a, just a difficult conversation with my girls on the drive here today to church. But why was I doing that? I was trying to nurture them. I was trying to help them to grow. And does God, and he, does, he wants us to grow to be in the image of Jesus Christ, according to Romans chapter number eight. And so he nurtures us. What else? He protects us. Yeah, we talked about that one. He protects us. What's that? He's our strength. So in times when we are going through difficult trials and he is our strength, the Bible tells us in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that when we are weak, he is strong. He is our strength. And sometimes you have to come along your kids, like when they bust their mouth open and they're bleeding and they think their world's coming to an end. 
You have to be there to encourage them and try to strengthen them. You're going to be okay. It's all right. You were already ugly. You're just a little bit uglier. You're going to be fine. All right. Whatever you got to do. What about provide? Do you provide for your kids? They have meals every day. They have their things taken care of. They, they have everything provided for them. God is our provider. He takes care of us. But my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He's, he's our supplier. But what about this one? Because we don't like to, we like all those good ones, and this is a good one. But we don't think. Of it. What about discipline? As a father, does he not have to discipline us at times, just like you may have to your child? And, and it says in Hebrews chapter number twelve that that the, the chastening of the Lord is doesn't. It's not something. I'm paraphrasing now, but it's not something that we just say. Oh, I can't wait. Just like my kids say, don't say, Hey, Dad, can I get a spanking today? Can I please get a spanking? Nobody desires that, but there's times when God will chasten us. Why? And it says in that passage in Hebrews 12 that he chastens us that it might produce fruit, produce a better outcome. Change, and it goes back to the nurturing. And so I can't spend a lot of time there. I could spend, a lot, I could spend much time there. But he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Now watch the next phrase. Therefore the world knoweth us not. Now, you remember in chapter 2, we said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. When we talked about the world, we said that the world was this world system. It's not saying hate the beauty of this world. No, there's some beautiful places in this world. But it's the mindset of this world. It's the philosophy of this world. It's a mindset that's opposing to the Bible. The Bible is our standard as Christians. That's what we are to live by. The words of God, he's given to us, he's preserved for us. That's what we're to to, to live by. But the world system and the way they think is opposed to the Word of God. There may be some things that line up. There's some good moral people in the world. But they oppose the doctrine of the Bible. But here he says, so he says, therefore the world knoweth you not. If you are a child of God living after the Bible, don't expect the world to see the, the things in life from the same perspective that you have. It's, just, it's not going to be there. I remember when I was pastoring a time that someone came into my office, a salesperson. I got, I got tricked into this sales thing. And it was a Monday night. We had a Monday night basketball thing. Caleb played one, one here. But when I was in Michigan, I started a Monday night basketball program. And this guy came in, and I was younger, and we were playing. He goes, hey, he called me Pastor Brad. He said, hey, Pastor Brad, can, we, can I come into your office and just share with you this new thing that I'm doing at my job? And I was like, well, this may be an opportunity to counsel him. I said, sure. I said, let's meet, let's meet uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday. I don't remember what it was, 6 o'clock. He said, sure. So he shows up in my office with this lady. I'm like, well, what are we doing now? And he said, all right, I'm kind of training, so she's going to give you the spiel. And I said, whenever I heard the word spiel, I thought, oh, this is not good. This is not what I was thinking. And so she sits down, and she begins to tell me something about, I can't even remember, it's been years, but it was something like, and she opened it with like this, can you see yourself down in Florida, with a boat and you on that boat and she didn't say with the wind blowing in your hair but I did have some back then but she opened it with something like that can you see yourself down in Florida on the with a boat and and I go no I actually can't she's like but but can you see it I go no pastors don't end up in Florida on a boat on their salary it's just not where it ends up when I was when I was a pastor at the time so this is not going to happen yeah yeah but she's like, but this, is that something that you foresee that you might want? I go, 
No, I'm in Michigan and I'm a pastor. That's all it's going to, I'm not going to go to. And so, but she said, all right, well, let me try another. And she was trying all kinds of things. And I thought, and why did I get myself into this? I was trying to be nice to this guy, but she could not when afterwards, she's like, why would you not just want that? And she couldn't see from her perspective in life where I was coming from when I said, I'm just content to go wherever God tells me to go. And at that point, I said, I'm a pastor, so I can't just pick up and say, I'm going to move to Florida. I go wherever God wants me to go. And, she's, and she looked at me like I would just had given her the most difficult chemi- chemistry and math problem ever, whatever it was. I mean, she looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. And she's like, well, I don't think we're going to get anywhere with him. And she never did. And I didn't buy a thing. But she couldn't get it. Why? Because... It says in this text, Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. The world's not going to understand your way of thinking necessarily, because they don't understand Jesus. They don't, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. But it's funny that the moment someone gets saved and they become a child of God, there's a lot of growing that needs to take place, but their perspective changes on things. Now all of a sudden, they want to know what the Bible has to say. Now all of a sudden... They're changing their view on, on, on life and their view of how the, some of their strong stances they used to have. But it's because we are a child of God. But now verse 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Currently, if you are saved, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, right now you're a son of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I like this verse. I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven. I get that question a lot of times. What are we going to look like in heaven? How old are we going to be in heaven? I've got my standard answer. Some of you have heard me say this. My mom told me when I was a little kid in this church, in that building that's not even there anymore, my mom said, when you get to heaven, you're going to be 33 years old like Jesus. And I believe it, and there's no Bible to back it up. But I believe that I'm going to be a 33-year-old Brad with a full head of hair, maybe. I don't know. And that's what I'll be. I had a son who died. He was five months old when he died. So where's he going to be when I get to heaven? Is he going to be 33 and I'm going to just be like, hey, Braden, how are you doing? And see him? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. And it, that's why I think it's okay sometimes. And, I, and I, when people ask me questions, there are sometimes when I just say, you know what? I don't know. You don't have to have an answer. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about heaven. It talks more about hell than it does heaven. But it does tell us a lot about heaven. And he says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know exactly. I know we'll have a glorified body. I know there's no more sin that I'm going to be dealing with, and I know there's not going to be any more pain that I'm going to be dealing with. Right now, my right shoulder, I'm 40 years old. Okay, that's now, that was old when I was like 10. That was like 40. Wow. 40 is really young right now. All right, really young. But my right shoulder, all I did was pitch for about, I don't know, we played for an hour the other day. My right shoulder still hurts. But in heaven, no more pain, no more sorrow. So this is great about him, but I don't, we don't know what it shall be. But he says, but we know that when he shall appear, he's going to come back one day. If death does not get us first, Jesus will come back. We call it the rapture. Not going to go teaching down that road today, but we call it the rapture. And it's taught in 1 Thessalonians. It's taught in I think, uh, Revelation 3. It's taught in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. There will be a trumpet that sounds, much like how Caleb plays. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds. Jesus Christ is going to come back, and we as Christians will be taken out of here. That's called the rapture. He says, we, he shall appear. It, we were, they were expecting it. Paul was expecting it back in his time. And here we are almost 2,000, 2000 years later. 
Still hasn't happened. Believe it could happen at any moment. There's nothing that has to take place for it to happen. Now, I'm trying not to go down this rabbit trail. There's a lot of things that are happening in our world system that make you think it's going to happen soon. But I don't know I don't, if someone puts a prediction on it. Guess what? It won't be that day. Jehovah's Witness tried that. It's not that day that they said. Someone said it was 1981, the year I was born. It was not that day. When you, the Bible says no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Nobody's going to know it. It'll happen. But when he shall appear, it says we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Think about this. The God who we've been singing about. When you sing victory in Jesus. We've not seen Jesus. We've seen him by faith. We know his story by faith. We've read the story of the scriptures. But it's all by faith. But one day our faith will be turned to sight. And we'll be able to see Jesus face to face. The one who died on the cross for our sins. And he says we're going to be like him. We're going to have the mind of Christ. We're going to... We're going to, not as some things I've already dealt with, we're not going to deal with sin. We're not going to have the pain, all of that. We will be like Christ. Now, I don't know all of what that means. My creative imagination has some thoughts. I really, I, don't, I shouldn't even tell you this because some of you that don't know me are going to be like, this guy is actually nuts. He's crazy. But I don't know that we'll be able to waste this mind of Christ. Like one time I said to my kids, I want to know how many nuggets I've eaten from McDonald's when I get to heaven. Because I've had a lot of chicken nuggets since I... I don't think God cares about that. I don't think that's ever going to happen, though. It's just my creative mind hoping maybe someday I can know little things like that, but I don't think it is. But I do know that this. I'm thankful that we're not going to have these battles with sin. I'm thankful we're not going to have battles with arthritis. I'm thankful that we're going to be with our loved ones. My little five-month-old son that I really didn't get to see much and never heard him say, I love you, never threw a baseball with him, never did any of that. But in heaven... I'll get to be with them again. I look forward to those times. The, the heaven's not something we should be fearful of, but it's something we should rejoice in. It's something that is coming. It's something that's a, that is one of the being a child of God. That's something we can look forward to. We will see him face to face. But I got to move on because notice it, it's a hope that we have because in verse 3 says this, and every man that hath this hope in him. What is the hope? You remember a biblical word hope? What's the difference between, someone tell me, what's the difference between a biblical word hope when you read it in the Bible versus hope that we use today? Does anybody remember? You've heard someone say it? Yeah, yeah. Biblical hope is a confident expectation. Confident expectation versus today's hope, which is I hope Aaron wins today. Now, do I know Aaron's going to win today? Yeah, I know Aaron's going to win today. You guys have no faith, all right? Listen, no. I don't know if Aaron's going to win today. I hope that, that they win today, but I don't know. But the biblical hope, when you see the word biblical hope, like how he worded it, it's the confident expectation. It's not, I hope the Lord comes back. I hope I go to heaven. No, I have a confident expectation because at 12 years old, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we've talked about His love. And so I'm a child of God. And so I have a confident expectation that I will be in heaven one day. And so he says, but now whosoever hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So now, now that I'm on this earth, I'm not in heaven yet. And I'm on this earth and I'm still battling with sin. And, and I'm going to get to some tricky verses here in a second about sin. But I'm battling sin and, and it's difficult with sin. But the, my now on this earth, when I do not have my glorified body, my goal and my, my 
my, what I'm striving for ought to be to purify myself, to live a life of purity. I do not believe, and we're going to see some verses in a second, I do not believe in sinless perfection. You will not reach sinless perfection on this earth. But we don't have to just succumb to sin. We have, as I've already talked about many times in my class, you have victory in Jesus Christ. He has won the victory. And so our goal ought to be to purify ourselves. It says, even as he is pure, we want to want to be like our dad, our father. Our heavenly father is pure, so I ought to want to be pure. You know why I played shortstop in high school and baseball and literally? Because my dad told me stories about playing shortstop. You know why I pitched? Because my dad told me stories about pitching. That's where you start. My dad did it, so I want to do it. You know why my boys play baseball or did play baseball? Because I like baseball. And I told them stories about baseball. And now they want to play baseball. It's, it's not, sometimes you look at, well, you're forcing. No, I'm not forcing them. I just talk about it. And they love it. Every night before bed, they're like, hey, Dad, you got to tell us a story. Like, all right, what do you want? Tell us about a story from fourth grade. All right, yeah, last night was my junior year. Tell me about your junior year. And I was telling them about a baseball game. And so they hear these stories and they want to be like their dad. That's what he's saying here. He says, if you have this hope in you of heaven, this confident expectation, purify yourselves even as he, your heavenly father, who he's already talked about, if he's pure, you ought to want to be like him. But so often we have Christians living in churches today that are wanting to be like the Hollywood people they see more than they want to be like Jesus Christ. Who cares about the people in Hollywood? They think they can give their opinions on Facebook and we care. I don't care what your, what your thinking is. But what is Jesus? What's our Heavenly Father? That's what matters. And so he says, purify yourselves even as he is pure. And then he gets into some... He says, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. So when you commit sin, you're breaking God's law. We understand that. For sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Jesus came to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Great gospel verses here. We are sinners. Jesus, there is no sin because he's God, and he came to take away our sins. He was manifested. He was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, died, was buried, rose again. All of that is encompassed in those couple of verses. And then he gets tricky on us. It's really not tricky, but we can't see it in our English. And, and, and our minds go to one area. But here's what he says. Now listen. Verse number six. Whosoever abideth in in him if you've been in my class you know that that word abideth is a fellowship term excuse me for spitting there is a fellowship term it's talking about being in fellowship with god just like john 15 abiding in the vine is all about fellowship with god so whosoever is in fellowship with god you're abiding in him sinneth not so if i'm in fellowship with god i don't want anything to do with sin and sin comes up temptation i don't want anything to do with that I'm walking with God. I'm in fellowship with God. I don't want, I don't want that sin. But he says, Whosoever sinneth hath not seen God, neither known him. So what is he saying here? You can't, if you do sin, then you don't even know God? Let's go on. He says, I'll come back. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. It's coming out of who you are. You're righteous. You're declared righteous in Jesus Christ. You're acting in righteousness, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Wow, how many of you sinned this morning? 
Just trying to get to church. So what is he saying here? It says, For the devil sinneth from the beginning, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Uh-oh. So if we had only this verse in our Bible, is he teaching sinless perfection? Were the Methodists right all along? It says, For his seed, his seed, God's seed, remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now if we only had this text right here, and it's all we had, then, then I would probably teach sinless perfection. If I didn't know, if I didn't know Greek as well, which I don't. <laughs> but I know how to read people that know Greek. But I would probably think, oh, I don't know. But you've got to compare even with chapter number 2. Even if you go back to chapter 2. Remember he says, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, you have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ. So he even said, I'm writing this so you don't sin. But if you do sin, you have Jesus. Then he said later on down there, and I think verse 6 of chapter 2, he says that we ought to walk as he walked. But he was understanding and leaving the option that sometimes we don't as Christians. Sometimes we do fail. Sometimes we do sin. So how do we reconcile even chapter 2 with what he's saying right here? Well, you're going to see over the next couple of chapters that he uses, he uses a, a terminology that's better seen, and even later on as we get into John, in the present tense, which is talking about habitual sinning. Now, it's not used as much in this text as it is later on, but he's saying he, a person who says he's abiding in Christ but just continues and continues to sin, habitual sinning. He just keeps on sinning. And it's got the idea that there's no concern over it. It doesn't bother you at all. It doesn't bother you at all. You just keep on doing it. Just keep on doing it. And just keep on doing it. No change, no bother. Is that person saved? Here's always my answer. I don't know. I don't know. I can't see their heart. I'm not the judge of their heart. But the Bible seems to indicate that someone that can just continue in sin, it's not talking about the person that gets up, gets frustrated with their spouse a little bit, then all of a sudden they feel, they'll feel guilty over that, and they'll say, you know what, I'm sorry, I, sh I shouldn't have been that way, forgive me. I may have thought something they shouldn't have, and then they get it right to God. No, what is happening with that person? That person's getting back in fellowship with God. They're sinning, they're feeling guilty, they're convicted, they confess it, they get it right, they're back in fellowship with God. They're not just can keep on sinning in the sense of, I'm going to keep on, keep on, keep on, and I don't care, I don't confess it, I don't get it right, it doesn't bother me. There's something wrong with that person. But I don't know about you, but when I sin, all of a sudden it starts convicting in my heart. I start feeling, feeling wrong about it. I start feeling guilty about it. And you know what that is? That goes back to our first verse. Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That is my Father putting pressure on my heart saying, why are you doing that? Why are you in that sin? Why did you just do that against me? And all of a sudden, I remember when my dad or my mom, when I was a kid and I upset them, my first two thoughts, first one was, uh-oh, <laughs> because I knew I was going to get a whipping and it was going to be painful. But then I just hated the thought of hurting them. Hated it. And so I think what, what he's referring to here, he's talking about someone who has a continual practice of sin versus someone who has an act of sin, but they confess it and get it right. 
And he talks about this seed remaining in him. Let me go back to that verse real quick. He says, uh, where was that at? Let's just read verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him, that's fellowship, sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him at any time. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. There it is. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. What is he talking about? It's the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. We have this new nature now. And the new nature does what I've just talked about. He convicts us of sin. And so we, can't, we don't want to stay out of fellowship with God. We want to get back right with God. And someone who doesn't sense that and doesn't care is a concern. Christ destroyed the power of sin on the cross. And so you and I don't have to live defeated by sin every single day. We have a new master, as I like to talk about and I've talked about often. The new master's name is Jesus Christ. So this text today, I've kind of entitled it, It's Our Position which is I'm a child of God, and our practice, which is I don't want to sin. But when I do sin, I need to confess it and get it right with God, get back in fellowship with Him, because I am a child of God. And as he, my Father is pure, I want to be pure. My Father is holy, I want to be holy. And I want to please Him with my life. You know what's going to happen either way today in these ballgames? probably should have started this illustration because I hate it that my boys are not in it. But uh, at the end of the game today, Ty and Ian are going to come up to their mom and their dad and they're going to hug them and their mom and dad are going to say, hey, I'm proud of you. You did a good job. And they're probably, they're going to they're gonna make some bonehead plays out there. They probably are. There's going to be times when uh, the pitcher on the team is going to throw the ball to Ty and Ty is going to miss it. There's going to be times when Ty walks a person. There's going to be times when Ian drops a ball. And the whole time, Aaron's going to be over there going, Oh, this kid, I just want to string on this. What are you doing? What are you doing? But at the end of the game, you know what he's going to do? He's going to hug him and say, I love you guys. You did a good job. Great game. Win or lose, I'm proud of you. Why? Because there's a child. You know, when you're a child of God, there's going to be some times he's going, That was a bonehead decision you made. That was sin. But he welcomes, he wants to, when we confess that sin, he said, he's right there. He loves us either way. Don't take the illustration too far. It's just an illustration. He loves us no matter what. Just like Aaron. Hey, win or lose, he's going to love his kids. Becca's win or lose, they're going to love their kids. But God is our Heavenly Father, wants that fellowship with us. And though we may sin, we confess it and we get it right with Him. And if you're sitting here today and you say, you know what, I just sin and sin and sin. I don't ever confess it to God. It doesn't bother me a bit. It doesn't... You may want to talk to God. Because he that abideth in him sinneth not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this class. They've listened so well. And I pray that something said here today.